Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. And isn't it crazy, but like summer's about over, right? Like a lot of you had kids go back to school this uh, last week. Uh, I don't get this. I don't get why we go back to school in the middle of August anymore. I just don't, I don't get this. It kind of runs with everything else in California. But anyway, um, uh, and then a lot of you, if you have kids in LA Unified, you're going back this week, right? So, uh, so anyway, uh, welcome back from vacation. I haven't seen some of you in months. Good to see you. Just, just kidding. Um, but my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So inside your program is a green and white message note sheet, and we use it every week, so you'll definitely want to take that out and follow along. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here in your place, your house, and gathered together under your name, under your leadership. We just give our allegiance to you. We announce that you are our Lord. We proclaim that to you, to ourselves, and we come under your leadership today uh, to learn how to listen and follow you as our leader. And so we pray that you would come by the power of your spirit. You'd speak to us by name and um, give us ears to hear what the spirit would say to his church. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, today our story starts um, on a dusty road. They've been walking all day, and it's, it's been hot. It's been long, and uh, they are ready for a break. In fact, this is, this is like the last day. They've been walking for about a week on this journey, and they're, they're scheduled to arrive at this particular house, and so they're, they're, they're coming in. This is their last big day on the road. Tomorrow will be their final journey into the major city that is their destination place and so as they come in, they greet their friends, they have a warm welcome, they have dinner, but they are all exhausted, want to go to bed early so they can get an early start into the city the next day. But as he lays there in bed, for him, this is a big milestone in his life. I mean, this is a city where he moved when he was young, and this is a city where he has grown up, where he studied, where he was a rising star. It's also the city where he committed some of the most violent crimes of his life. And it's the city that he was later forced to flee for his life and to live in sort of a self-imposed exile for many years. And so now it's first place, first time back to a place he once called home and so many expectations, so many concerns, even some fears. So many of his old friends are now enemies, and so many of his old enemies are now friends. And the question is, as they come into the city tomorrow, what will he find? Well, today, we are kicking off a new series. It's called Metamorphosis, Growing in Generosity. And for those of you who are new, um, this is, a, this, this is a, actually like the second season uh, in a popular long-running TV drama. That the longer story is called, the longer series is called Metamorphosis. And in this second um, season, um, that uh, this really, this whole series is based on a letter from one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. If you're new at this, his name is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Jesus followers in southern Greece, a very southern tip. And he's actually led these people to Jesus, at least many of them, like five, six years before. Um, and so uh, now he's writing back, and the reason, um, so we, we call this letter Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, because they live in this major city that's a kind of internationally very important Roman city uh, in the Roman Empire called Corinth. 
So second letter to the Corinthians. And the reason we call this series, the longer running series, Metamorphosis, is because um, one of the words that Paul uses in this letter to share with them God's vision for their lives as followers of Jesus is the Greek word metamorpho. And of course, this is where we get our English word metamorphosis, which refers to a, a slow but profound, sometimes even radical transformation process. It's the, the transition a tadpole goes through to become a frog or a caterpillar, a butterfly. But as we've seen in this series, it's also the word that God uses to describe his vision for our lives and what happens when a man or a woman comes into a supernatural relationship with God through Jesus Christ, enters into what Paul called a face-to-face relationship, and we learn to listen and follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. And so today we come to the second of three major sections of this letter that covers chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. But before we jump in, we need some serious backstory today to make sense of this. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Growing in Generosity, the Backstory. So I'm going to sit back, take a couple notes. Let me set the stage because without this, these two chapters won't make a lot of sense. Once we have it, uh, they'll, be, they'll, they'll be easy to follow. So, so here's the story. Uh, if you've been with us the first season of Metamorphosis, you know that one of the big issues that Paul is facing is that there are many in the church of Corinth who are questioning, even challenging his authority. In fact, recently, there has been a major, like a spiritual coup. There's been this rogue leader that's risen up in the church, kind of pulled the church away, taking them down the wrong path spiritually. And so the Apostle Paul, in the first series we saw, he wrote them a letter, a very uh, kind of a a hard-hitting, like a painful letter, challenging, calling them out. And, they, and then he sent it to them via one of his best, kind of best friends, uh, kind of his, his top uh, co-leaders named Titus. So Titus went on this long journey to Corinth, delivers the letter, and sure enough, they respond well. They realize their mistake. Most, not all, but most of the church comes back, uh, kind of repents, turns around, comes under Jesus' leadership, under Paul's leadership. They remove this rogue leader. And so Titus has recently arrived uh, where Paul is in northern Greece. Remember, um, Corinth is in southern Greece. He's recently arrived in northern Greece with good news that they've turned around. And so, uh, so Paul is now ready, now that they've been reconciled, to uh, bring up another important topic that he talked to them about about a year before, but has now fallen on the back burner. Um, and, that, and this topic is a topic of a major financial fundraising drive that Paul is, is leading that was very similar to what we call here at Rocky Peak one of our generosity initiatives or our initiative of the poor. And so what's happening is, is Paul is raising money from the Gentile churches that he started in the last 10 years as he shared Jesus in the Roman Empire, he's, he's collecting money from them to help support the poor Jewish Christ followers who are like a thousand miles away in Jerusalem. Now, we're not sure why, historically, the church of Jerusalem was so poor. Um, we, there are many good reasons, many good theories. We just don't have time to go into it today. But the fact is they were. And they had been really struggling financially for a long time. In fact, 
10 years before Paul wrote this letter that we're studying, 10 years before, he had been selected by his home church, the church at Antioch, which is in northern, like in Syria, kind of north of Israel. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, a hotbed of early Christianity. So this is before Paul had gone out on shared Jesus in the Roman Empire, before that happened. Um, and he was just one of the leaders of the church of Antioch. And uh, and one day, uh, God sent a prophet to the church of Antioch, letting them know that a big famine was coming, a worldwide famine, and they knew that this would really hit their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, these Jewish Christ, uh, Christ followers, really hard. And so they developed, the church of Antioch developed an initiative for the poor, and they collected funds, and then they elected Paul and his buddy Barnabas and a team to take this money from Antioch uh, to Jerusalem. Now, this was all 10 years before. Now, this takes us back to the story we started the day with. We started the day with the story of this man who's been moved to Jerusalem when he was, or moved to the city, remember, when he was young, uh, that was raised there, schooled there, rising star, committed very violent crimes, later forced to run for his life. This is the story of the Apostle Paul. You know, moved to Jerusalem when he was young, studied under Gamaliel, one of the top rabbis of the day, was a persecutor of the movement of Jesus, very violent persecutor, executed people, beat people, uh, tortured people, and then he came to Jesus, and when he went back to Jerusalem to share the message, hey guys, Jesus is the Messiah, they tried to kill him. And so he was forced to flee from his life. This is the first time back since then. And so imagine the emotion he'd be experiencing as this place you'd grown up, you were once rising star, deeply loved, part of the uh, kind of the in crowd, getting part of the next uh, level of leadership and the future for Judaism, and, uh, and then you know, having to flee for your life, being self-imposed exile. He's now going back as a follower of Jesus, leading this mission back, this initiative for the poor. So I'm sure very mixed emotions. Now, in Acts chapter 11, this, is just, this trip is described for us. Remember, this is 10 years before he's writing the letter we're going to be studying today. So he hasn't gone out and shared Jesus in the Roman Empire yet. He's just a member, a leader at the church of Antioch. So it says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, so it's interesting. Uh, uh, in, in Israel, you always go up to Israel, up to Jerusalem, I mean, up to Jerusalem to worship. It's a high elevation. So they, they get into this, you know, we're going up to Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem. So even though you're traveling from Jerusalem in the south to Antioch in the north, they still say it this way. They're, they're going down. So uh, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this actually happened. Of course, Luke is writing this years later, looking back, he said, yeah, this happened during the reign of the emperor Claudius. This would be in like the 40s AD. And so the disciples there in Antioch, as each was able, decided to provide for their brothers and sisters living in Judea. That's the province of which Jerusalem is the capital. So in that poor Christians, Christ followers there, Jewish Christ followers. And so they did this, sending their gifts to the elders, the elders in Jerusalem, by Barnabas and Saul, his Roman name is Paul. 
And so 10 years before, as Paul was just a, a leader of the church at Antioch, he had been part of this initiative. Now we're fast-forwarding 10 years, and he's writing the letter to 2 Corinthians. And what we discover is that uh, over the last few years, God has given Paul this vision to kind of replicate that initiative for the poor, but on a much larger level. Instead of just one from one church, Antioch, to, to go to all of his Gentile churches that he has started in the last 10 years and to share this vision, hey, they're really struggling there in Jerusalem. We need to help out, raise support, and then we'll, we'll send this large gift. Now, the question is, why is Paul so passionate about this ministry? And the answer is really two answers. At one level, this is just an act of love. Paul loves Jesus. We're the body of Christ. Christians and the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are suffering. They're having a hard time putting food on the table. That as an act of love, it's what we do. We love God. We love people. We need to raise money to help meet the need. So it's just an act of kindness, an act of love. Um, but it was secondly more than that. Because in the early church, we often forget this, what a radical concept it was to build a new community of both Jews and Gentiles. Um, when the movement of Jesus started in Jerusalem, it was completely Jewish. You know, all the apostles were Jewish. And none of them, even the apostles, understood Jesus' vision that he was to be the Messiah of all the world, not just Jews. In fact, uh, many years into it, uh, the Holy Spirit had to give Peter a supernatural revelation in Acts 10 and 11 to convince him to share the message with Gentiles. And when he went to the house, some of you remember, he went to the house of the Roman centurion Cornelius after the Holy Spirit had made it very clear. When he gets there, I mean, talk about how to win friends and influence people. He gets there, his opening lines and says, uh, y'all know this is illegal for me as a Jew to be here with you. And uh, when he shares Jesus, they come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes. He goes back to Jerusalem. All of his buddies, all the leaders in Jerusalem are really ticked off at him. What are you doing going to the house of Gentiles? What are you doing eating with Gentiles? Have you lost your mind? And so we forget this, that this was a radical concept, that this new movement of Jesus will be comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. And so part of Paul's passion for this this was a way of living out the gospel. This was by, by collecting money from his Gentile churches to help support the poor, suffering Jewish Christ followers. This was a way of saying, this deal is a real deal. This new community, this is a community of Jesus. This is where we love one another. This is where all racial prejudices that have listed for, gone on for hundreds of years are broken down. This is where we love one another as brothers in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. We are the body of Christ. And so Paul was passionate about this. Because he knew what we all know, that nothing says I love you like money. All right, so, uh, so for the last several years, Paul has been collecting funds from his Gentile churches to take to uh, Jerusalem as an act of love and to build this bridge in the body of Christ. Now, here's the thing. 
So Paul had shared this vision with the Corinthians over a year ago, before he writes this, like a year ago, two years ago, and they were so excited. They were one of the first churches he shared it with. They were so excited. They were on board. Yes, we want to give. This, this is from the Lord. And, and they, they began to give. They began to save. They began to make pledges. We will give more. Yes, we're on board. And then the rebellion happened. The rogue leader rose up. Well, now no one's going to give to a project from Paul. You're not even sure if he's an apostle. And so Paul has had to put the whole project on hold. But now that Titus has come back to North, he's returned from Corinth with the good news. They're back on board. They've removed the rogue leader. We just read about that in chapter 7. They're so sorry, Paul, for the way they treated. They love, they want to love Jesus. They want to love you. They want to reconcile. Paul says, all right, now it's time to get back on track with this important project. So as we move into chapter 8 and 9, we see a complete changing of topic on the table. Out of the blue, Paul returns back to this important topic. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Growing in Generosity, The Challenge. And uh, <laughs> if you have your Bibles, your apps, we're going to open up, turn on, jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse 1. So <clears throat> Paul says, and now, brothers and sisters, so notice he's changing the topic. Paul often does this, uh, and now. In the Greek, it's just, and now, or, uh, and here we go. And, and, and there's a certain, so it signals a new topic. So, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the what? Grace. So underline that. That's a key word. We'll come back to it in a second. We want you to know about the grace that God has given to the whom? Yeah, Macedonian churches. Now, so, so who are those churches? Well, remember, Paul, uh, Corinth is in the south of Greece. So the southern, uh, the Roman province in, the, in southern Greece was called Achaia, all right? And Corinth was the capital of Achaia. Northern Greece was called Macedonia. And so there, the churches there that you'd be familiar with from your New Testament, Thessalonica, Philippi, perhaps others, but those for sure. And so Paul says, I want to tell you a story about what God's doing in the churches of, of Macedonia in the north. Now, there's a natural rivalry between Achaia in the south and Macedonia in the north, just like there's a natural rivalry between Southern California and Northern California, right? <laughs> Like, for example, like, I was born in Northern California. I was born in San Francisco. I love, uh, I love San Francisco, but then I came to Jesus, and I moved, right, to Southern <laughs> California, right? So if you're watching on YouTube and you live on, in Northern California, just know that Jesus loves you, um, but if you want to know where the action is, you need to move. All right, so... Uh, all right, so uh, there's a natural rivalry, just like there is between states. And so Paul's kind of playing on this in a way. And he's like, hey, let me share what God has did in regards to this project with Northern California. All right? And all of a sudden, the Southern Californians are like, what? Tell. What do they do? What's God doing up there? And um, so he's going to tell them this amazing story, but he uses this powerful word. We're going to come back to often today, this word grace. 
And look what he says. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, right? Now, when we, th- when we see the word grace, we often think of God's unmerited favor, his love, his compassion, his mercy towards us when we don't deserve it. And, of course, that is what grace is. That's usually what grace is. But what I want you to catch is Paul uses the word grace in a wide variety of ways. In fact, in these two chapters, it is the most important word in these two chapters. He's going to use the word grace 10 times in two chapters. And he's going to use it in a wide variety of ways. And so, so grace normally means God's love towards sinners, like God's love towards us we don't deserve. But catch this, it also refers to the gifts of God's love that we don't deserve, that he gives us. And here, what he's talking about, one of Paul's common meanings for grace is, is when God supernaturally gives us the power to listen and follow, gives us the power to be transformed, gives us the power to carry out his assignment in our life. And so Paul will often use this in regard to his own life. He'll say, by the grace given to me as an apostle, I say. Or he'll say, I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't really me, it was the grace of God in me. So he will use grace to, 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 one of the ways he uses it is to describe the supernatural empowering of God where God graces us to transform, graces us to be used, graces us to uh, be a conduit of his love, the supernatural work of God. And that's the story he wants to tell. I want to tell you about the grace that God gave the Northern Californians. Right? And he says, so, so he's going to tell us a story. And he says, so here's what has happened. It's unbelievable. He says, your brothers and sisters in NorCal, they, they're going through like amazing difficult time. They're going through, he calls it severe trial, probably referring to persecution. And he says, they're going through extreme poverty. He says, but when we share this project with him, God just graced them. And in the midst of that, severe trial, and in the midst of extreme poverty, God just gave them a passion to give, and to give generously, more than they could even afford, and to do it with great joy. It's amazing. And so let's see what he says, verse two. (laughs) So he says, um, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich what? Rich generosity. And he says, because I testify, it's like he's taking the stand like an oath. This is like an oath. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Like, I don't know if they're putting on their credit cards or what, but um, it says entirely on their own. So this, Paul says, I wasn't twisting their arm. We weren't guilting them out, but entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of giving, the privilege of sharing in this service or this ministry to the Lord's people, talking about Jerusalem. And they (laughs) they exceeded our expectations. I mean, they gave way more, like we had a thermometer on the wall and it just blew the top off. But they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. We're gonna come back to that, it's very important. So we urge Titus. Now remember, 
Titus has just returned from Corinth, this long journey, with the good news. They've repented. They removed the rogue leader. They want to be reconciled. They want to come under Jesus. They, they want to follow you. They're so sorry. He's just returned. We just read that in chapter 7. So now that Titus has come with the good news, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Right? So apparently when Titus was there in Corinth, once the situation settled down, he began to remind them about this project that Paul had talked to him about a year before. They were so excited. And so Paul says, I'm sending Titus back to you to finish the job. He's, he talked with you about it, but he's going to come back and he's going to lead the collection of this special offering. As we'll see in a couple of weeks, so maybe next week, that Paul wants to always have the highest level of integrity when it comes to dealing with finances. And he wants to keep arm's distance from him personally being there raising funds. He doesn't want any question. So they love Titus. He's had a great experience. Titus talked to him. We're sending him back so Titus can lead the way. So when I come, it's all ready to go. So <coughs> in verse 7, uh, verse 6, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning on this project when he was with you, to bring it also to completion, this act of what? Grace, this act of grace on your part. He says, but uh, since you excel in everything. So now he's going to challenge him. He says, hey, you guys excel in everything. I don't know about you, but we've been, spent a long time in the first seven chapters. I don't know if I would be saying, I think you all excel in everything. And Paul's a super positive guy. And uh, He's loving on them, and he's also putting the best spin on this. Uh, but the reality is, is that we focused a lot on the downsides of the Corinthians, but there were some real upsides. And one of the upsides we know from 1 Corinthians is that when the Holy Spirit, when, when they came to Jesus and the Holy Spirit came, man, they were a very gifted church. They had so many abundance of spiritual gifts. In fact, in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that when you came to Christ, you were enriched in every way with every spiritual gift. And so they were a church that was, they, they had a lot of faith. They had miracles. They had, um, they had a lot of uh, gifts of speaking, supernatural gifts, like words of prophecy. Um, they had gifts of knowledge, uh, words of knowledge. They had, they were speaking tongues, interpret tongues. Um, there was a lot of gifts, and Paul says, hey, so I know you're proud of this, and just as you excel in these areas, now it's time to grow in this area of generosity. So he says in verse 7, he says, uh, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, most likely talking about spiritual gifts, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, you're really passionate about your faith and in the love that we have kindled in you, the love for God, the love for us, for others, see that you also excel in this what? Grace, Grace of giving. He said, now, I'm not commanding you. Like, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a word from the Lord. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love. And I want you to underline that word test. We'll come back. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So we just got through telling them how God worked in such an amazing way in Northern California. And now he says, I want to test. Like Titus is telling me you're back on board. Titus is telling me you love us. Titus is telling me you've removed the rogue leader and you're repenting for your rebellion. You want to come back to Jesus and get back on track. 
But remember, before this rogue leader came up, you were all excited about this ministry and you were going to give. So now is a test of your sincerity, of your love. Are you really serious about coming back, loving God, loving people? So we'll see based on your response. And then uh, in verse uh, 9, he says, uh, he caps it off by saying, for you know the what? The grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate model. And Paul wants to frame this whole project, this initiative for the poor, to frame it in the larger big picture story of God that we're all a part of, about, about a creator who loved us so much, who became part of the creation to rescue us, the ultimate giver. And so he says, <coughs> for you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I like to say like he lived in the greatest gated community in the universe. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor, Poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so we'll come back. So that's the passage. Now, what I want to do today as we launch this three-week series is I want to start today with four big picture principles about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, what that God's vision of transformation in our life, and specifically in the area of love that leads to generosity in our lives. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Growing in Generosity, the Principle. So let's jump in. <clears throat> so the first one goes like this. The first principle is that generosity is a gift. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is this, is that if you or I are going to grow, become like Jesus in the area of his love for others and in our generosity, that this is going to require a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's going to come as a, as a gift of God. And this is Paul's point. And this is why he talks... He starts by talking to them about the grace that was given to North, the Northern California believers. This is why he starts there. He says, remember how he started? He says, now let me tell you about the grace that God has given to the churches of Macedonia. And he, he goes on to talk about this amazing supernatural work of God. And he says, let me tell you what God did there. He says, here's the situation. They are your brothers and sisters up there at Thessalonica. They're suffering for Jesus. They're being persecuted. And as a result, they are going through extreme poverty. But when we shared this project with them, they didn't respond like you would expect people to respond in that situation. But instead of saying, hey, we'd love to help, but we've got our own problems, they said, no, please, I know we're poor, but they're hurting more than we are. Please, Paul, don't turn us down. Let us have the privilege of being part of this project. And they gave, and they gave more than expected, and they gave with great joy. And Paul says, I mean, as we look at it, he's like, well, that's not natural. In fact, look at <coughs> verse there on your note sheet, in, uh, chapter 8, and verse 2. Uh, it says, in the midst, I want you to catch Paul's exact wording, and then we're going to put that into an equation. So in the midst of their severe trial their, and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So let's take Paul's words, and let's create a spiritual equation, 
right? So there in your note sheet, I created a, an equation for like a math equation. And so let's fill in, the, fill in the blanks. So it goes like this, severe trial, we're going to use exactly his words, severe trial plus extreme poverty equals overflowing joy and rich generosity. Now look at that. Once you're through writing it, look at the screen. Over severe trial and extreme poverty equals overflowing joy and rich generosity. Let me ask you, is that normal? Is that natural? Like you, you have some friends, right, and they're you, maybe some relatives, and they're going through hardship, and they're, uh, they're in the hospital, and they lose their job, and their car gets repossessed, and they're going through a hard time. And so is there normal reaction when there's an opportunity to give? They're like, yes, we want to beg you for this opportunity. Like, no, that is not natural. That is super natural. And that's what Paul is saying is that I want to share this amazing story of what God is doing in the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Northern California to inspire you and to make you dig deep and really go before the Lord and see what does he want you to do. And so what I want you to catch is if you and I are going to grow in our generosity, our love for others that leads to generosity, because really, like, love is like the spring from which generosity flows. So if we're going to be transformed and be like Jesus in this area, it's not going to be by willpower. It's not going to come just by duty. It's going to come by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a gift to us from the Holy Spirit, that generosity is a gift. Now, when I say that, I do not mean that we don't have a part to play. Because as we always say here at Rocky Peak, when it comes to our spiritual growth, our transformation, it's God's job to initiate. It's our job to cooperate. So When I say that it's a gift, what I mean is the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. He's going to guide us in our life. He's going to show us what to do. He's going to call us to step out. But we have to learn to listen and follow when he does. And that's why Paul is writing two chapters to these people that excel in all things because he's not convinced they're going to excel in this. And he needs to, as an apostle, speak into their life and let the Holy Spirit speak through him to them. So call them out to listen and follow what God will ask them to do. All right? So this is where we start. Generosity is a gift. Number two, the second principle is that generosity is a test. It's a test of whether we're serious or not about following Jesus. Do we really love God? Do we really love others? Generosity is a test. Now, this is what Paul says. He says, uh, you know, Titus has just returned. Great news. They say they've repented. They've returned. They want to be reconciled. They've kicked out the rogue leader, Paul. They're, they're excited to grow. They're so sorry about the way they treat him. Paul says, that is so awesome, but this will be a great test of your seriousness because before before this rogue leader arose, before the rebellion happened, before this crisis I had shared with you this vision, 
and you were so excited about it, you'd begin to give, you'd pledge to give more, and so now this is a great opportunity to test what he calls the sincerity of your love. Look there at, uh, two, at, at verse 8. 2 Corinthians 8, 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, the, the, those in Macedonia, right? So he's introducing this important spiritual principle that Jesus actually talks about, where the way we approach our finances is a great test of who God is in our life and whether we truly love God and others or we don't. In fact, uh, Jesus once said this. He said that when it comes to uh, our lives, that, that God, God watches how we handle our finances and whether we're trustworthy in that. And then he decides, based on that, whether he can trust us with the more important things in life. Like what? Well, like his power, like his presence, like his leading like unleashing new gifts to impact his kingdom, like his blessings, uh, and sometimes even financial blessings. Are you f faithful with this? We'll see that in week three. But that God is watching to see, will you be faithful in small things? And if you are, that's like a test. I can trust you with more important things. And so this is the way Jesus puts it. In Luke 16, he starts with a generic, obvious, big picture principle from everyday life. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. That's just an obvious general life principle, right? Like if you, if you, uh, you, you trust someone with something small and they're responsible and they're faithful, and they do a great job and they're responsible, then you, like, it makes sense to trust them with more. But if you trust someone with a little thing and they let you down, they don't show good integrity, they rip you off, they're not responsible, you'd be foolish to say, hey, they really ripped me off with something small, but maybe if I gave them a lot, they would do better. So Jesus just starts with this big picture principle and then he applies it. And he says, you know, and this is how it works in our life. He says, so God watches how we deal with the small things to see if he can trust us with the big things. But the small things, it turns out, is our finances. Interesting. So this is what he says. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling, what's he call it? Worldly wealth. Kind of your finances, if you, that's a small thing. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches, the things that matter most? And he says, and if you have not been trustworthy with, what does he call it? Someone else's property. So Jesus reflects the biblical perspective that all we are and all we have is a gift of God. And so uh, as a result, that it's not really ours, it's ours to manage. So we're not the owner, we're the manager. And so uh, we are called to how we spend it, uh, how we make our money, how we spend it, how we invest it, how we give it, how we save it. <laughs> it's all like under his leadership. And uh, so he says, if you've not been trusted with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then he wraps it up. In the very next verse, I put it there separately so we, just to highlight it. He says, no servant can serve two masters Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Uh, it's impossible. Now, a lot of people think that Jesus is wrong. And sometimes we may say, oh, yeah, I, sometimes we read it like this. It is very difficult to serve God in money. But I know it can be done because I, I've worked hard at it. And, um, and I'm telling you, it's possible. Um, he says it can be done, but it actually can. But he's just kind of saying it that way. It's not really impossible because I'm doing it. And Jesus says, no, it's impossible. It's impossible. And the reason is the way we're wired as human beings is there's only room for one ultimate value in our life. There's only room for one top priority. There's only room for one top relationship. And so you, you can't serve God and anything. Like it, it, you can't, but one of the greatest competitors for God in our life has always been money and the things that money buy. Pleasure, power, position, popularity, possessions, right? And so Jesus says, hey, this is a fun, let me talk to you about money. If you're gonna follow me, it's a fundamental decision that every one of my followers has to go through. Does your stuff belong to you or does it belong to me? It's fundamental. And do you surrender that? Are you managing it or are you owning it? This is like critical. And Jesus says, and let me make sure, no misunderstanding, you cannot serve God in money. It is impossible. You cannot follow me. Like you have to decide. It's a test. And he says, and my, so my father watches, and he says, watch how you handle your worldly wealth, and if you pass that test, you're trustworthy, then he can trust you with the things that really matter most. So both Paul and Jesus are referring to the same principle, just in different contexts, that the way we respond to our finances, Paul's case, generosity, is a test of the sincerity of our love. Now, number three. So, so what we've seen so far is that uh, generosity is a gift. If we're gonna grow, it's from the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, and secondly, it's a test, whether we're serious about loving God, loving others. And so uh, the question is, well, but then how do we grow in generosity? That's the title of this series. How do we grow in generosity? Um, how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? It's his job to initiate, but how do we cooperate? What does that look like? And Paul says it like this, that generosity grows with two steps. That if we're going to grow in generosity, we have to learn kind of the spiritual two-step of generosity. And um, he refers to this in chapter 8 in verse 5. And he says, this is what the Macedonians did. <laughs> he says, um, they exceeded all expectations. They just gave so generously. But how? Like, how did that happen? He says, well, this is how they did it. They gave themselves first of all, here's the first step, they gave them first of all to whom? To the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. He said, and then, and then, he doesn't say second, but then, second, by the will of God, uh, also to us. And so here's the process the Thessalonians went through, and catch this, this is the process we always need to go through whenever we're deciding in our life how to give to anything whether that's to give to support the ongoing work of God's kingdom, say like at your 
home, your local church, whether it's like giving to a parachurch organization that you love and believe and they're doing great Jesus work, whether it's a special project a church uh, enters into to buy property or to build a building, whether it's a special initiative for the poor like we do here at Rocky Peak, or whether it's giving in your own life, just in your own relationships, maybe to people in your life group or, or people um, in, in need in your family. Uh, this, this first step that we always need to take every time is we need to give ourselves to the Lord. And this is what Paul is talking about, or what Jesus was talking about, where we come before God and we say, God, we, we remind ourselves and we, we proclaim to him that, God, everything I have and everything I own is from you. And it belongs to you because I belong to you. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I, I live for you. I'll one day stand before you and give an account for my life before the famous seat of Christ. And, and so I, I live for you and I don't live for myself. And so all I have and all I own belong to you. And now Paul's coming with this project for the poor in Jerusalem. And it sounds like a beautiful project, but Father, I need to know from you what you want me to give to this project. And when they asked that question, the Holy Spirit made it so clear. He gave them a desire, a passion, a vision. He created such a desire in them that they, they pleaded with Paul urgently for the privilege of giving to this. I mean, God just really moved them. He graced them. And so they gave themselves to the Lord, and then, catch this, they gave themselves to Paul by the will of God. And this is how giving always should be. God, I belong to you. I give all myself to you. Now, what do you want me to do in this situation? And then we give as he leads us. It's a two-step. Now, here's what I would say. If you have never had that initial conversation with Jesus, where you sign over the title deed of your life, and all you have, and all, if you've never had that conversation, you need to have that conversation. Because the reality is, until you have that conversation, you are not serving God, you're serving money. Because remember what Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. So if you have not made the decision consciously that all I have and all is yours, then, by definition, you're trying to serve both. And Jesus says it's impossible. The reality is we're serving money. So let me tell you, this is one of the most important spiritual decisions you'll ever make in your life. Because remember what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we go through our life trying to follow Jesus but managing our own resources as if they belong to us we're not really following Jesus. And what I found is that when a man or a woman, and we're not talking about amounts here, we're not talking about that, just when you come before Jesus and you surrender all you are, all you have, my stuff is yours, I give that. Can I tell you, something breaks free in the unseen realm. Something breaks free 
not because of the money, but because of your heart. And once God has your heart, he is free to start trusting you with true riches. Like his presence, <laughs> like his leading, like his power. Because we are no longer bowing the knee at the idol of money. We are bowing the knee of Jesus. And now that releases the power of God in our life. And now we're free to hear from him of what he wants us to do. The fourth step, or the fourth principle, is that generosity flows from Jesus. And this is what Paul wants us to understand. I think that this is whenever you talk about money, it naturally people get nervous, start grabbing for their wallets. Hey, putting my phone down, you know, so like, hey, don't mess with my, and, and Paul knows that, right? And so you can tell he's being very, like, wise in the way he's approaching. He's very diplomatic, the way he covers. He's really challenging them, but he's really being very diplomatic throughout both chapters. And what he wants them to catch is that it's a temptation to think, Paul's sharing this initiative, that Paul has some ulterior motives, or it's just about money, or you just want my money, like, whatever. And Paul knows that. And he wants to frame this whole project in the larger picture story of who Jesus is, who we are, and the story we're involved with. And he says, hey, listen, when I'm talking about generosity, this is not like a sidebar issue of the Christian life. This goes to the heart of the gospel because the gospel is the story of ultimate generosity. It's the story of the creator who became part of the cosmos left the greatest gated community with the biggest house in the community, became part of creation, became one of us, born into a backwater country, uh, grown up in like, you know, Fillmore, you know, grew up like, like um, grew up in Nazareth, you know, poor man. Uh, you know, the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head, right? And then goes to the cross. Like, this is the story. The story is about God who is a generous giver. This is the whole story. The whole story is a story of grace. And the, and the story is about one who came to transform you so you could be like him. It's a bigger story. And so he says, hey, don't forget the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. It's our story. And you know, often we think of the price that Jesus paid to enrich us we think automatically of the cross. And of course, that's the high point of the story. Everything leads up to that price. But often we forget the tremendous price he paid to get to that point. In fact, in Philippians 2, some of you will remember this from our series last year and the gospel last fall in Philippians. And Remember in chapter two, Paul was talking about what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, to live out a life of love, and how that should impact our relationships. And there in your note sheet, <coughs> this is how he put it. 
He says, in your relationships, you need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the same perspective, who being in the very nature, whom? God. Did not require, uh, consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. This is what Paul's talking about. He who is rich became poor. This is what he's talking about. That he who is God gave up the rights, gave up the standard of living of God. And rather he made himself what? Nothing. And you know what that nothing means? It means human. Like, he became one of us, like nothing. If you stop and think about it, I think it's impossible for us to understand what the incarnation of Jesus required. Like, it's just, it's so mind-boggling. We can't even begin to understand what is it like for God to become a man? I mean, I try to imagine that. Like, like sometimes, I'm serious, so I'll do this every once in a while. I'll see like an ant I'm about to kill. And, and I'll think it's like, like that ant that means nothing. It's like God is so much more than the relationship with me to the ant. It's like to a trillion times. I mean, like, what are we? And Paul says it's like, when you move from creator to human, it's like becoming nothing. In fact, it's like, like becoming a slave. He says servant, but in the Greek it's slave. And he says, and, and not just become a slave, then, then he goes to die a criminal's death on a Roman cross to enrich us. This is who God is. He's a hilarious giver. He, he is, he's love incarnate. This is what he does. And when Jesus came, he came not just to save us, but transform us to be like him, people who give grace, people who love deeply. And that deep, the depth of our love is reflected in the richness of our generosity. This is a much bigger story, Corinthians, than just one project, initiative for the poor, this project is rooted in the heart of the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because the reality is, you can give without loving, can't you? We see it all the time. People give without loving. You probably have done it. You probably re-gifted something to someone you don't even like. <laughs> you can give without loving, but I want you to think about this. You cannot love without giving. That love gives. It's what love does. And Paul says, hey, when I'm talking about this specific project, you need to remember the, the story that we're a part of. We're talking about a story about one who was rich who became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And this is his vision that his vision for your life is not just be saved and go to heaven, but you be transformed so you would become a conduit of that love and that generosity to others. That you would become the person you are created to be. That you would become like your big brother who is the ultimate giver. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we're just so thankful for the beauty of your word and the truth it sheds, <laughs> sheds on our lives and this incredible vision of transformation that we would become people like you. Hearts of love, hearts of sacrifice, hearts of generosity. That a love so deep that out of that spring, rich generosity would flow in our lives. And so, Lord, we just are the first to admit we have so far to go. We're just in the first base, the kindergarten of this school. For most of us here, certainly for myself, I'd say that's true. Um, but, Lord, we, we understand today that generosity is a gift. It's something that results from your work in our life. And so we pray that you would pour a spirit of grace upon our lives and upon our church that we would be transformed to be like the one, like the one that came and gave himself for us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we reflect on these things, as we go before you this week, as we take these two steps, that we would give ourselves to you. We would, and then give as you lead us to give in all these different areas and opportunities of our life. We'd surrender, that we would take money off the throne, put you on it, so that we can be entrusted with the things that really matter, your presence, your power, things that matter forever, for eternity. We pray that you would transform us by the power of your spirit, that we would listen and follow, that as you initiate, we would cooperate. And we pray today, Lord, as we worship you now, as we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, you would use these to build a place of tremendous grace and generosity where the name of Jesus would be lifted up and your love for the world would be revealed. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand and worship. I love that line, uh, a love that erases all the lines when you see the truth. And that's what Paul's vision was, to erase the lines that separated Jews and Gentiles. And they could see the truth, the oneness in Christ. And it was this love for them to alleviate their, their suffering they're going through and to build up this unity of the body of Christ because we know the, the reality of that. When we give to meet real needs, it ties hearts together because it shows the sincerity of our love. And so may this be a week where we're growing um, in the sincerity of our love. Maybe a week where we're coming before the Lord and taking those two steps. And if you've never taken those, I can't, um, urge you more that as the Holy Spirit is calling you that you would come before him go through that transaction trust him with your life that he will provide for you and that your most important thing is to please him and come under that leadership and watch the freedom that it brings in your life and the the riches it brings to your life as you surrender this area as we go today I want to remind you that we always have a ministry to my right and your left over against the far wall. We've got a prayer team there with badges on. They'd love to pray with you, whatever. Maybe it's this issue, maybe some other issue in your life unrelated. They'd love to pray with you. But may this be a week we grow together. May this be a week that God pours out his grace on us as a church, that we would become more and more like the Northern Californians in a story, that we would be grace of God, that we would become more and more like Jesus and we would grow that out of this spring of love, generosity would flow in our lives increasingly in such a way that the world around us would see the Father and see his, his heart for his people. Amen? Uh, God bless you. I'll see you next week. I'll be up here if you want to chat. And uh, have a great week.